Which brings me back to what we're talking about today. Now, a lot of times we don't like to use the word discipleship because it sounds like discipline, right? Discipline? Doesn't that sound negative? Does anybody like being disciplined? Not one hand. Did you, did you really raise your hand? Okay, well, here's the thing. Discipleship is really about influence. It's about, it's about who's influencing you, who's making a difference in your life. I've told this story before, but it always makes me laugh at myself. I remember one time I came home from school, and my mom, when I came in, she started calling me Curtis. So she kept saying, okay, Curtis. Is that true, Curtis? And I'm like getting frustrated. We're like, mom, what are you doing? Here's what she said. If you're going to act like Curtis, I'm going to call you Curtis. Curtis was my friend. He had a powerful personality. And I'd spent so much time with Curtis that I was talking like Curtis. I was acting like Curtis. My attitudes were like Curtis's. I didn't dress like Curtis. But in every other way, his influence on me, he wasn't even trying. But my time spent with him influenced me in such a way that my mom basically was saying, I want you to be Dennis. You don't have to be Curtis. Yes, he can be your friend. But that influence he was having was getting into me and I didn't even see it happening. Anybody else had that kind of thing happen? I, years ago, this is, I'm, I'm excited that uh, one of the classes that we're going to be doing, Vicky, Vicky Marriott's going to be teaching a class on C.S. Lewis. Anybody familiar with C.S. Lewis? Anybody read any of his books? Maybe you've seen the Narnia, Narnia Chronicles or whatever. But I'll tell you, C.S. Lewis was an amazing uh, man of God. He didn't actually become a Christian until he was an adult. He'd been an atheist for most of his life. And then when he did become a Christian, he was already famous in the world because he was, the, he was actually the department chair of ancient literature in both Oxford and Cambridge. I mean, this guy is a really brain guy, right? So he wrote so many Christian books and he became so influential. So in, in Bible college, uh, we, we used to have this thing called Jan term. It'd be three weeks during the Christmas break. You could take a class and it would be an intensive class. So I thought it would be great. I'd heard of C.S. Lewis. I'd never really read any of his books. I'd never actually even heard of the Chronicles of Narnia at that point in my life. So here's what I did. I took this class. It was called a C.S. Lewis seminar. I had no idea what I was getting into. So it's three weeks long. So basically you have, five, you have 15 days of class. Each day we were required to read 350 pages a day. And then here's how they graded the class. They graded the class on how much you could be involved in the discussion the next day during class. So the teacher, who knew all the books probably by heart, I mean, this guy's brilliant, he knew whether you had read it or not based on how you would discuss it. See what I mean? You had to read. So after the first day, I mean, your head is just spinning because you're reading so much material. And then the next day, you've got to be able to talk about it intelligently. So what ended up happening is the first day, second day, third day, are you doing the math with me? I don't know if I can actually do that math. But, I mean, you're talking about like about 2,000 pages by the time you're done with a week. Here's what happened. By the end of the week, we found ourselves talking like him. Do you see how that works? Because we are so immersed in the way he wrote and the way he, he organized sentences. We were weird. And then you were around other people who were doing the same thing. So it ended up, you, at first we didn't even notice it. And then others of our friends would say, why are you talking like that? I'm like, like what? And then they would say, you just said this. Who talks like that? And realize C.S. Lewis does. I've been reading him so much that his influence on everything, my speech patterns, the way I think. I was telling somebody before church today, I still actually get confused sometimes on spellings because of that one class all these years later. 
I will spell gray wrong. Like British, you know, they, you know how they spell it? We spell it G-R-A-Y. They spell it G-R-A-E-Y. Sometimes I get confused about if it's going to be a C-S or S or, you know, things like surprise. How do you spell surprise? I literally was thinking, what's the right way again? S, remember, you know, he's not a speller, right? You're, you're probably going to be like, what is wrong with him? S-U-R-P-R what? Z or S? They say S. I didn't realize that, but I couldn't remember which was the right way. That still happens to this day. The influence of that one class has lasted all these years on my mind. It's like he broke my mind. (laughs) So here's my question. Who's doing that to you? No matter what, no matter if you even know it, you're being influenced in a similar way by somebody, by something, by multiple somebodies and multiple things. The fact is, You are allowing in certain influences and you may not have a filter there to say, wait, I'm talking like Curtis. Because you don't, it's not always conscious. It's just something that comes through your mind in ways that it sneaks up on you. So I wonder sometimes, who are you letting train you? Years ago when I was in Minnesota, I was youth pastor there for five years. There's culture differences, right? I don't know if you're aware of this. I mean, a lot of them are obvious. But the first one that I noticed that I just, it was strange to me coming from Southern California is there weren't as many baseball fields in Minnesota. You know what what I saw a lot more? And, And at first it caught my eye and I thought, what in the world? Why would they do that? Around all the park basketball courts would be like a, like a two, three inch, uh, wooden, uh, like a rail on the ground. It was on the ground. And I thought, how silly is that? Someone's going to trip on that. I remember asking somebody, what, what is that about? Why would they do that on these parks? You know what it is? Anybody know? Ice rinks. So in Minnesota, in the winter, all they do is just, they just flood that, and you've got automatic ice rinks. And again, being from California, I'm like, don't they worry about people slipping or whatever? And they look at me like, what? And I said, what about skates? Everybody has skates. I'm like, what? Difference, right? So I had a student in my youth group, and he wanted to play uh, he, he played the bass, and his parents had got him lessons, and he was part of the band, the worship band. And I'll never forget the night his mom caught me after church and said, we made a big decision. I'm like, okay. I mean, she, she just seemed serious about this. And uh, she, said, she said, Cooper has been playing on three hockey teams, which is a thing there. I'm just saying it's just different than here, right? She goes, and he wants to give up all of his teams for the worship band. And I was looking at her, and I was thinking she was going to get mad at me because I didn't do this to him. I didn't say, hey, Cooper, you need to give up everything else and play in the worship team. He wanted to, and I didn't know. He never even told me. But his mom, the way she was acting, I thought I was in trouble, trouble. And here's what she said. She goes, We're, it was hard for us because, I don't know if you guys, it's hard to even imagine how big hockey is there. Everybody plays hockey, right? And it's a big thing, and everybody wants to be a pro and be on a team and play for... You know, whoever, what? It's just different. She goes, here's what we did. We realized that his hockey coaches are not the kind of people that we want him to be like. It's a big decision. She said, do you realize how much influence they've been having over his life and our life? The way they play, the way they act, their attitudes. We want him influenced by the church and by what's happening at church. We couldn't be happier. 
I realized the, the weight of that, the weight of that, the decision he made to turn away is a big deal. Think about this. Think about how influence parents have versus teachers. And I know this might seem crazy to you, but I, I was a youth pastor for 26 years. And some of you know I teach at Summit Christian. I teach, there, I teach apologetics two hours in the morning from 7 to 9 every morning. It hit me a few years ago. I have more influence on them than I ever did as a youth pastor. Let me explain why. As a youth pastor, you do have an influence. You know, and the more time you spend with students, like this retreat is huge. The time he spends with, Pastor Jeremy spends with you guys is enormous. But, but it's an hour and a half on a Wednesday, right? Maybe two hours if they're early, right? And how much time do they get to actually go through the sermon? I mean, the sermon's going to be, what, 20, 30 minutes? What I do with students is I have them for 45 minutes, 40 minutes, and I take them through a systematic approach to understanding why the Bible's true, what it means to be truth, why Christianity's true, how you can defend it, and I test them. Do you see the difference? They have to listen to me, right? And they have to understand it and get it. They may not believe it, may not change their heart, but I get them for that time. Does, does that make sense? That's more time than even as a parent. I mean, I never made my kids sit through all those hours of school testing, right? I Think about the power that a teacher has too. When you walk into a classroom, who's the authority in their life? It's the teacher. And who know, knows more than them, right? We have a science, t- science teacher sitting right there, Mrs. Ferguson, you know, you were right. You know what you're teaching about. You are the authority. And here's what happens a lot of times. And I'm just, let's just be honest. Students, you, you can back me up on this. It's natural, right, for students to get to a certain age, kids, our kids, and there's a rebellion that comes and there's a separation from parents and we want to look to other authorities. Who is the authority in their life and what are they saying? Are they undermining you? Are they undermining Christian values? Are they undermining what what we have been teaching them all these years? This is not meant to be a, I wrote in here, a navel-gazing, I'm a failure session service today. That's not what it's about. Honestly, I want it to be a wake-up call for us as a church, for all of us, for, for everybody from the youngest person in the room to the oldest. I want it to be one of those change moments, like a paradigm shift in the way you think. I really do want it to be like that. I mean, I can't make it that. It's like when somebody says, oh, you'll love this movie. It's so funny. And then you go to the movie and you're like, mm, it's all right. Right? It is a little funny, but not as funny as they made it. I'm not trying to do that. But I do think it's this big of a deal. I really want to change your in- in- entire thinking. I want it to be an entire paradigm shift, a, an epiphany. Like you think, oh, I get this now. That's what I want to happen today. I'm just putting it out there. Have you ever heard the term sea change? You guys know what that means? No, no, there's a term sea change. It's not the letter C. It actually comes from Shakespeare, of all things. It comes from The Tempest. You guys remember that play? Anybody study that in high school? Or... He wrote it in 1610. And in that play, Ariel, the, the character in the play, she sings a song following a song by Fernandand in the play. And what he's talking about is a physical transformation that the sea made in, in the father who was drowned. It says this. I'm not going to do the accent, but. Full fathom five thy father lies. Of his bones are coral made. Those are pearls that were his eyes. Nothing of him that doth fade, but doth suffer a sea change into something rich and strange. 
I want your whole mindset on discipleship to change for this whole series, but today and then next week also. I want it to be a type of thing where you don't see the world the same after today. Now, I know I'm, I'm building it up way up, right? And some of you are probably thinking, I don't think you can do that. Well, it's not me. It's going to be the Holy Spirit speaking to you. You know what I think of it like? And I've, I've mentioned this before. Some of you have studied philosophy and maybe you've studied, you know, Socrates, Plato, Plato Aristotle. You know, they were, they were mentors of each other. And, um, you know, it starts with, with Socrates. And maybe you don't know the story of Socrates. But as he, as he taught and he led people, he ended up affecting so many people, influencing so many people that the government there, the government of Athens... They were unhappy with him because he was leading, get this, he was leading the young people away from the Greek gods. He was doing that. And what they did is they forced him to, to drink hemlock. They, they killed him for that. For him showing that the Greek gods were nonsense. They were just superhumans with all the foibles and sins. And what he was also doing is showing the fact that, no, there is an actual right and wrong. Because at the time, just like today, there were people who were saying, no, subjective truth and truth can be whatever I make it. And I can make my own, I can, I can envision my own world. It can be my truth, your truth. And he said, no, there's one truth. Now, he wasn't a believer. He wasn't a Christian. I get that. But he tells this analogy. And the analogy is really about his leader, his mentor, Socrates, and how Socrates had led people into the truth. And then for that, they killed him. So here's the analogy. And I want you to think about this for a minute because I'm going to refer to it a couple times. Here's the analogy. Imagine if if there were these, these people who were chained up in a cave, and the way they were chained in the cave, all they could see was the back wall of the cave. And then things would happen behind them, but they couldn't see that. All they could see is the light from outside, and sometimes light from torches or fires flickering against other things, and it would show some image on the cave wall. So what they saw on the cave wall wasn't real. It was, it was just a shadow and a lot of times the shadows weren't real. I mean, people would be walking by, maybe a cart. They might see images and things, but what they thought was real wasn't even real. And then the analogy goes like this. Someone, one of the ones, one of the prisoners escapes. So he gets out of the cave. And when he comes outside the cave, what happens is the light is so bright, he's never seen daylight, and it's, it's painful. And then he starts to see things as they really are. And his mind is just blown by the fact that what he thought was this way from the shadow, now he sees what it really is. And then his eyes, as it's opened, as his eyes are opened, he starts to see the real world for what it is. And it's so exciting to him because he starts to see reality. And what does he want to do? He wants to share it. So he runs back into the cave and he starts to tell his fellow prisoners, hey, that's not real. Here's what's really real. And they kill him. Because they can't accept that reality. That's just an analogy. But it fits so well with so many things in life. And my question is, who showed you the reality of the world? And by that, the ultimate reality of who Jesus Christ is. How did that happen for you? Who was it in your life? Now, for most of us, it's not just one thing, right? It's not. There's, there's a layer of things that have happened in our lives. And every one of us are different. And all of us are on a different level of relationship with Christ. But at some point, maybe you were raised in church. And at some point, it all made sense. And you probably couldn't even put a, your finger on it and say, it was this thing. Now, maybe, maybe you, like me, I remember the service where I realized I was a sinner and needed a savior. I was sixth grade, I remember. I remember I was sitting right over here. And we had a guest speaker from Africa. He was a missionary Remember, he's a white guy with an afro. 
which was odd, but he was, that's probably why I remember him. And I, it made sense. I was like 10 years old. How much sin could I have had at 10 years old, right? But it was real. And I knew I needed a savior. I knew that I couldn't live my life the way I was, being a phony, not believing. I, it made sense then. That's when it happened for me. Now, what happened before that for me? A lot of things. I'd learned a lot of things. I'd had a lot of experiences in life. But the fact is, I'm asking you who led you out of that cave and showed you the truth. Now, that process goes on and on, right? Because no matter what part of life you're in, you have these other epiphanies and awakenings and you realize things and it just keeps happening. It's like you go back in a cave and you learn things and you find out new things and you show it. But I'm wondering, how did that happen for you and who led it to you? I'll be honest. The pressure for this, the responsibility is enormous, right? Jesus said it like this. But if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin... It would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. What sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin. Temptations are inevitable, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting. Who's tempting you? Who's tempting our kids? Okay, I know this is meddling in your life. I get it. It's kind of my job, but not part of my job I enjoy, I'm, I'm on, to be honest. Who's coaching your kids? Who's teaching your kids? COVID showed us a lot, didn't it? A lot of parents saw what was being taught. A lot of the agendas, the, the LGBT agenda being forced on kids, the, the politics, the, the rewriting of history, even faith and Christianity. How are we doing that? How are we training the next generation? How are you trained? How are we training new believers? That is a heavy responsibility for all Christians and us as a church. Again, Jesus said this, Matthew 28. He was talking to his disciples. It was the last, one of the last things he said to them before he rose into heaven. He said, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commandments I've given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's what we're supposed to be doing. It's, it's not just getting people to become Christians. It's actually training them in what it means to be a Christian. So who trained you? Who led you? Now, I know it's hard to know, but... We're trained in so many ways, and there's so many layers to it, it's hard to even put a finger on it. But think about, think about how these things happen, and think about how the other things... I say it like this a lot of times. Everything we hear, especially media, you realize they're all preaching something, right? There's a message in there. Everybody has it, and maybe they don't even realize they have an agenda. Maybe they're just singing about their life or what they think is important. But that ends up preaching and especially with music, it just it sneaks past our, our filter and it sneaks past our guards and all of a sudden it's in our hearts and minds. I was joking around, was it last week or the week before about my Sharona and I had a couple of people come up and talk to me. I listened to that song. It is terrible. I know. Uh, podcasts, radio, books, movies, TV shows. 
Have you noticed this? And, and it's not like it's just new, it's, it, but it's all over the place. You, you know how most TV shows and movies, they have some sexual tension between some of the characters, right? Can we, is this making you uncomfortable? Sexual tension, okay. And there's never, a, there's never one time ever where biblical values are ever part of that relationship. It's always assumed they're gonna sleep together and there's not gonna be any consequences, Right? No emotional scars, no damage, no nothing. When you know better, you know that's not real. But what does that do? What it does is it subtly preaches, it's okay, do whatever you want, it's all right. No standards, no rules, do whatever you want. It's always there, it's always in front of us, it's happening all the time. How I handle my problems, how I medicate, glorification of of, of alcoholism and other, other things that we know are destructive and not what God wants for our lives, right? <laughs> you think about all these things. And then what's interesting about this, our job is to train people in how to become Christians and know what it means to be a Christian. And if we're honest, it's way different for each generation. Pastor Jeremy talked about the different generations last week. It was making me laugh because he was talking about the builders and the boomers and Gen X and millennials and Gen Z. And he had us all stand at our age group. Was, was that weird for you? To see how different it all is? But here's, here's one of the mind-blowing epiphanies that I had that blew my mind. And I'm going to say this. When I was a kid, you know what's coming next, right? I walked to school 10 miles a day, uphill both ways through 10 feet of snow, right? Which is funny to think about, because when I was writing this, I was reminded, my grandma Luce, my dad's mom, her, her parents were immigrants from Ireland, and they settled in Elko, Nevada. Anybody know where that is? No, you don't. <laughs> you don't. It's in the northwest corner of Nevada, and she literally took a wagon, covered wagon, to school. I mean, that's no, it is true. And I said, well, what did you guys do in the winter? Because they have a lot of snow there. She goes, well, they put sleds on it, and we had a wood-burning snow in the wagon. That's one, two generations from me. But do you know what is different for me? Maybe some of, like some of you, I grew up going to church all the time. Church was our life. There weren't a lot of the other options that families have today. So we were in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Sunday school, kids' church, children's church, Wednesday night, uh, then anything that was special. You know what else we did that I realized doesn't happen much anymore? In, in kids' church, we had all these contests. And what, what they did is they used, you know, kind of natural competitiveness to get us to do good things, right? Right things. And when we do that kind of, we have a buck store upstairs and we want kids to bring their Bibles and bring friends and, and, and give to missions and all that. And it's, it's wonderful. You know what I did a lot of? We, we memorized things. Do you guys remember that? Anybody? Memorize the books of the Bible? To this day, I could, I could reel them off just like that. Because I learned it when I was like eight. Right? Did it change my life at eight? No. Do I use it now all the time? Yeah, honestly, sometimes multiple times a day. But I learned the, I learned the, the gifts of the Spirit. I learned the, the fruit of the Spirit. It wasn't as if we were more spiritual. It's just we intentionally did discipleship different. And I feel like sometimes our kids today don't have the same things. I mean, I think about how we, we learn the Bible stories over and over and over. 
I mean, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the 12 tribes of Israel, and Joseph and Moses, and the Exodus, and all these things, Samson, Deborah, David, Saul, Solomon. Not a lot of people have that today. It's different. How much of that have you learned as an adult? That, and not to be, it's just true. We learn easier when we're younger, right? Our brains are a little more flexible, and we can stuff information in there. And then as we get older, we start to evaluate it. That's just natural. It's human nature. That's why at an early age, we, we try to put as much information in, and then, then we help them process that. That is discipleship. My kids' experience in church was totally different than mine. In a way, they had opportunities I never had. We never had a winter retreat like what you guys are doing. We didn't have that. We seldom went to camp. I mean, I, I think I went to one camp my whole youth experience. Now, as a youth pastor, of course, I went countless times, but it was different when I was a kid. Our kids have had multiple opportunities to encounter God, which is awesome. Statistics are mind-blowing. I don't know if anybody else remember this, but I remember when President Obama said we, weren't, we were not a Christian nation. I was offended. And then I started looking into it and realized a lot of people aren't Christians and don't have the same Christian values. I get it. Our Christian values aren't accepted by the media and by what you see in public all the time. But you know what's exciting about that? Exciting about that? Is that means that there's ripe for a revival. Do you realize that people need to know the truth and God is never at rest? Do you realize he is constantly pursuing lost people? Do you realize he's never given up on anybody and any of us and anybody you know and our nation and our cities and our schools and your kids and our homes and your relatives? He never gives up. He's constantly pursuing them. And what he needs us to do is to do what he asks us to do, and that is to disciple at all ages for us to be able to do that, for us to be able to learn and to be able to do that. And it starts with each of you, everybody sitting in this room, everybody listening, everybody online. It starts first with you seeking God for God. I hope you had a wonderful, deep experience fasting the last two weeks. I hope that you'll make it a part of your regular Christian experience that is my prayer. Because the more you know God, the more you will want to tell him about, tell, tell others about him, and the more he will change your life from the inside out. You will be motivated to change. I think of it like this. Do, do newlyweds have to think about each other and talk about each other and act as if they're committed to each other? No. They're on fire for that. They want that. That's how it is with God as well. Seek him for him, not for anything else. So I have a few points for you today, and I want this to change your whole way of thinking. The first thing is this. Discipleship first is your responsibility for you. It starts with you. The psalmist said it like this. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. Be careful who influences you. It's happening all the time, whether you realize it or not. But they delight in the law of the Lord. You choose what you meditate on. Meditate on it day and night. And they are like, if you do that, you are like trees that are planted by the riverbank, bearing fruit in each season. Your leaves never wither. You prosper in all you do. It's up to you. Your responsibility. You've heard this before. You get out of things what you put into it, right? Right? This is true too. What you feed grows. I know that. 
what you feed grows, right? We know that. If you feed your spirit and you feed your relationship with God, it grows. That is your responsibility. Paul said this to his young protege, Timothy, study to show yourself approved to God, a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. How do you do that? I'm gonna challenge you to something today. And I've seen this be a game changer for people in their lives. For you to take ownership and you decide that I'm gonna have a personal time with God every day. Just him and me. Can I give you some insight? Pastors struggle with this, you know why? Because every time we open the Bible, we think about how we're gonna preach that. I don't know if you do that, probably not, right? But I want you to open the Bible for you and God alone. That's it, you and him. Personal devotions. The first thing you need to do is set a time. Plan it, just like you would in your planner. I have an appointment with God. When? When is that time for you? Morning, evening. How many, how many of you are morning people? How many are not? You're evening people. All right. I've always been a morning person. I blame my parents. We, we never slept in. It didn't matter, and that's fine. I, I'm glad. But I can tell you, I was sharing this with somebody, and I'll just share this. It's When I was in high school, I was really pressing into God, and there were lots of times I'd try to pray at night and wake up sleeping by the side of the bed. <laughs> I remember feeling so guilty, like I'm a horrible person, horrible Christian. I was sharing that with somebody this week, and um, it was Cody Roars, and he said, I don't see it that way. I'm like, what? All these years, I've felt bad about that. And he goes, I see it like you were just in the arms of Jesus, resting in him. I'm like, what? Set a goal, set a time. Tell somebody, help them, help them keep you accountable. We're, we're doing this Bible reading plan this together. You can join now. It's, you can easily do that. If you want to and you can't figure out how to get on there, just ask me. I'll text you the, the code. It's easy to do. You can just jump in right where we are. I've, I've learned so much already from people sharing what they, they glean out of that. And then some of us were talking about that before church, and one of the ladies said, I don't, I, I don't ever say anything. That's fine. Say what you want. I don't, it's about you growing in Christ. It's not, it's, no one's keeping score. It's about you and Jesus. That's it. Create a habit. Let me, let me get to the next thing you need to do. You're doing it. You're here. For a lot of people, this is the only discipleship they'll ever get is being in church. It's good. I'm not minimizing it at all. There is more, but I'm glad you're here. Thank you for being here. Thank you for watching online. It is important. Church, being part of the church is a huge thing in your own faith. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews said this, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. We need each other. We need each other. We need each other to grow. There's over a hundred times in scripture where the, the writers of the, of the New Testament said, love one another, help one another, forgive one another. This, you can't do any one another's if you're not around one another and you were here. This is huge. Glad you're here. Appreciate you being here. Um, you know what else I want to say? We need all y'all. All y'all. Usually I try to help other people not from here understand what that means. You know what it means. We need, we need our young people here. We need our seniors here. Every single one of us, we are the church together. It's an important thing. All of us need peers who are walking the, the faith together, allies. We need mentors to learn from. And then we need the people that we are bringing up in the faith the fact is, this goes all around, and we're not meant to do it alone. We learn from each other all the time. Not one of us knows enough or has arrived. It doesn't work like that. 
we're constantly inspired by one another. Can I tell you, I walked into Jane's um, hospital room yesterday, and uh, she's asleep. George is curled up next to her in a chair, and he's, reach, he's over holding her hand. And I just cried for a minute. How beautiful is that? And I got to thinking, that is the picture also of the church. We need each other like that. They need each other in this moment of, of crisis. But we need it too. It's all part of it. Let me, let me just say this too. Going deeper in scripture is so important. Uh, Paul, again, writing to Timothy, said, all scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip us. Here's what I want to challenge you with. The first thing is this. Who is influencing you? If that hasn't been a big epiphany to you today, hopefully you'll get it next week. The second thing is, it's your responsibility. Your responsibility. Now, we are supposed to help the other people. Kind of works like that. You've probably heard this illustration a million times, but you've all probably been on a plane and they do the announcement. What do they say about the mask? Put yours on first so then you can help somebody else. So that's important. It starts with you, each and every one of you. Students going to the, middle, the, going to the winter retreat, awesome. You're doing the right thing doing that. Those of you who are here, you're doing the right thing. Keep doing that. I want to challenge you to more. What does it take to actually get to heaven? You ever thought about that? It, I don't think it works this way, but who wants to get barely into heaven, right? I don't think it works this way, but you know the old line of Peter's at the gate checking names. You don't want to get up there and he's be like, ah, okay, barely. There's a lot of Christians, they're going to heaven. But they could have so much more and they have no idea. I want to challenge you to more. Challenge you to more. And it takes you growing. And we have opportunities for that. We have, we have service obviously here. We have classes on Sunday mornings. Jimmy, Jimmy Arches teaches a great class on evangelism. PJ's class has been going for 20, 30 years. Phenomenal. Those are awesome. I, I want you to take part of that. We have, we have Iron Men this week. It's, it's second and fourth Tuesdays. Meet at 6.30. Guys, you're welcome. But we are starting these classes. You saw the ads. I want to just, I want to do a little sales pitch for you. Uh, Nick and Brittany are doing a class on parenting. How many are perfect parents? How many of you just, <laughs> the youth down here. Yeah, and you might be. You might have some insights we need. I remember years ago, I was a youth pastor. I'd only been a youth pastor probably five or six years. Had no kids. And the parents said, can you do a parenting class? And I just laughed. Like, me? I have no kids. And what they wanted was my insights from the other side as a youth pastor, working with kids to help them see, I get it. We all can learn. What's funny about classes like this is a lot of times, again, I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings, but people who need it don't either know they need it or don't want it, right? I get it. Parenting, I'm really excited to see what they do. They're great parents, and they've got a lot of insights. Vicki Marriott is teaching a Mere Christianity phenomenal book by C.S. Lewis. He wrote this book. It's actually fascinating. What happened is the BBC, of course, they would never do this today. They approached him and asked him to do radio addresses to try to address during the, literally during World War II, the bombing of Britain. How do we make sense of this evil, this huge Nazi evil in the world? Supposedly a Christian nation in Germany 
attacking the entire world, and then here we are in Britain, and they are fighting for their lives. U.S. hadn't even joined the war yet, and he does these radio addresses. Fascinating. It's called mere Christianity, but it doesn't mean mere like we mean it anymore. What he meant was common, normal Christianity. Phenomenal book. I encourage you. Uh, Brian Smith is doing a class. It's, this, I think, the third time we've run it called Hurts, Habits, Hangups. Anybody have those? It's one of those things you don't even realize the baggage you carry in life. And if, if we'll, it takes some self-examination. And if you're honest and want to work through some issues, this class is available and awesome. And then Jimmy Arches is, again, leading our Alpha class. Uh, if you're doing the Bible reading plan, it's, Alpha is created by the, the, guy, the, plan, the reading plan we're doing, Nikki Gumbel. And it is a, a, a very basic introduction to Christianity. So let me tell you who this is for. If you're new to the faith and you want to know the basics, come. Come to this class. You will enjoy it. The, the, we do a video clip and then discussion. It's awesome. If you know somebody who is at all curious about Christianity, this is for them. You can just tell them, hey, my church is doing this basic class on Christianity. It's, uh, it's not like a heavy-duty thing. It's all about questions, and you guys get to, you get to walk through the basics. It's an incredible thing. Literally millions of people have come to Christ through this through this uh, small group and all over the world, because he's English, but it's all over the world. It's amazing. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray with you in a second, but then after I release you, uh, the leaders of these classes are going to be out in the lobby, and they can answer any questions. And if you just want to sign up, this isn't like a commitment. We're not going to call you if you don't show. But I definitely want you to consider joining one of these classes on a Wednesday night. We have great programs for the kids, for, for middle school, for youth. We have all that. So I just want you to consider that, you taking charge of your own life and growing in your faith. So, so close your eyes with me if you would. Father, I, well, before I pray, let me ask you a couple questions. First thing is this. I never want to miss this opportunity. We practiced communion tonight, today, and when we did, I talked about the fact that people, we have sin and it separated us from God. And we talked about the fact that Jesus paid the price for that sin. So you might be here today, and maybe for you, you've heard this story before, but it finally made sense. For whatever reason, today's that day, and you want to give your life to him. No longer try to live it and be perfect on your own, but instead, you want to live, give your life to him. If that is you today, we want to pray with you. Anybody like that, you just raise your hand. We're not in a rush, but we'll pray with you. I do see that hand. I appreciate that. Anybody else? Let's do this together as a church. I would like us to pray, and, I, and I'm gonna close in prayer in a minute, but, and if you need prayer for anything at all, we, we have people who will pray with you down at the front right after service. We, we want to pray with you. But let me just say this. I want us to all pray this prayer together. I want you to repeat after me. And what we're going to do is just ask God to forgive us for our sins. It's a simple prayer. Before I do that, though, with your eyes closed, I'm just wondering. Because of what we said today, maybe the Holy Spirit has convicted you and you realize, I need to take responsibility for my own growth in Christ. Maybe that means for you setting a time to pray and meet with him. Maybe for you doing that Bible reading plan. Maybe it's a class, something. But if you feel like, yes, I realize I need to take responsibility 
for my own growth in Christ. If that's you today, just raise your hand with me. We'll pray together. Okay, please repeat this after me. Father God, I'm sorry for the things that I've done that are wrong. I want you to run my life. I need your forgiveness today. Please change me. Make me new. In Jesus' name. And Father, I pray for all of us in this room, everybody listening. God, I pray that you would help us as we take responsibility for our own growth, that we choose who influences us. I pray, God, that you would help us to create a filter that filters out the, the lies of the enemy in the world that is constantly preaching messages to us. God, I ask in the name of Jesus for you to become so real in every moment that we just we are overwhelmed at, at the thought of you that we are overwhelmed when we read your word and you speak to us in new ways and show us things about the world and about our lives and what we need to change. I pray, God, that as we, as we enter into prayer and speaking with you, that, that, God, you become so real that it's never the same again. God, I pray that over every single one in this room, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. You're dismissed. And if you need prayer for anything, please come up and we have some people who will be praying with you.